0: Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us.
1: Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? Because I kind of had it going.
2: Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great.
1: Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice.
0: You trying to put the league on notice.
1: We got more to do, so. Welcome to the Wolves Watch podcast. I'm Dan Radke, and I'm joined as always by Ricky Jim Bruno. Rick, you out there? Oh, I'm here. How you doing? Good, man.
2: How are you this Sunday? Oh, man, I'm great. I'm really looking forward to this podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my, uh, we were texting about it last night, just a little bit. So for those who are are new to the show, or maybe new to the over under series that we've been in the middle of. Uh, We started out East, Um, we came back to the Western Conference midweek this past week, and now we are going back East again to cover the Atlantic. And I just kind of want to lead it the way I did last episode, Rick, which is give me kind of your overall thoughts, big picture thoughts on the, the division as a whole before we get into the individual teams.
2: Well, the Atlantic Division is very clearly the strongest division in the Eastern Conference heading into the season. I think you could argue it's the strongest division in all of the NBA. It's only real competition would be the Pacific Division in the Western Conference. This is a conference where all 5 teams have expectations starting at playoff teams. You know, like that's the that's the bottom expectation for the worst team in this division and then you have 3 teams realistically that are championship or bust or at least their stated goal is probably to win a title this year and so there's there's just the overall quality the star players that are really loaded up in this division and then an underrated part of it too is these are traditional sports cities and so it's very fun to have a division where you have boston new york Philadelphia all have really strong teams. It's it's probably going to be the most fun division this year to watch.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, historically, it's always been one of the most intriguing divisions, just because of the cities and, and teams involved, like you mentioned. And there is a lot of a lot of history in that part of the country with basketball, a lot of rivalries, um, and so it is. You know, the league is always better off when this division specifically is is kind of peaking um last year this was a conference and for those listening that aren't aware of the teams involved it's five teams it's Boston it's Philly it's the Knicks the Nets and the Raptors and last year just by overall record I'd have to total up the number of wins I'm doing this kind of a little freehand here but they had the most wins by any division uh in the league And the lowest win total team was the Knicks with 37, and they had two teams tied at the top with 51. So you're right, just the overall depth and talent of these teams um, makes it, going into the season, it's going to be a really, it's going to be kind of a bloodbath, especially with Brooklyn coming back, expected to be fully healthy, Um, Toronto being a a young team on the rise with guys that are expected to develop, and then Boston obviously making the run they did last year. So it's going to be uber competitive and a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, let's get right into it because there's a lot to talk about with each of these teams, like mm-hmm. we did in the previous podcast. We'll just go in alphabetical order here, so let's start Dan with the Boston Celtics.: Yeah. So
1: Boston was a 51-win team last season. Their over under was set uh, at 54 or I'm sorry, 55 and a half, Jesus Christ, 55 and a half. Uh, they were the Eastern Conference finalists in the NBA finals last year and honestly had a pretty eventful off season for a team that uh, made such a deep playoff run. Um, last season they had brought in Derek White um, in the off season this year, they brought in Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Danilo Gallinari. Gallinari unfortunately did suffer an ACL tear this summer. So he will not play uh, likely at all this season. Um, if he does play to be very, very late in the year. Um, The stalwarts on this team stayed the same. The core around Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams, uh, with Al Horford still on the roster. This is a team that I, you know, you and I joke off podcast a lot about Boston because there are so many Boston homers in the in the media that covered this league. So we like to shit on them from time time to time, just because it feels like they just they get covered in such a rosy way in comparison to virtually every other team but i will say it last year they proved you know that eastern conference run to the finals was not a fluke um they proved to be a really well constructed team overall and the brogdon the brogdon thing for me if and again it's all about health with him but if he can stay healthy that is a it's not a under the radar signing it was talked a lot about but i think what's going under the radar is how positively that could impact the team if he's on the floor
2: it's a big if though i mean he his Career high in games played is 75, which was in his rookie season. And I'm just going to read this because I think this is the most relevant point for him. Is In this, uh, the subsequent five years, he played 48, 64, 54, 56, and 36 games. Um, and now two of those seasons were cut short due to COVID. But point stands, this is a guy that just generally plays somewhere between half and you know, two thirds of the season. And so if you can get him to be playing in during the time that it matters, it's going to be significant because you're going from probably what Peyton Pritchard, Derek White was kind of on and off. You're going from those guys in your playoff rotation to Malcolm Brogdon. And then just more specifically, you can get to a guard rotation in the playoffs of Brogdon, Marcus Smart, and Derek White, that's that's significant. And I mean, it's it's all gonna you know this is it's all gonna come down to health. But when you look at what their playoff rotation would be, you'd have those three guards. Of course, you'd have Jalen Tatum, um, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and Al Horford. That's eight right there. That's a very strong eight. And if they can find a nine. They're, they're going to be cooking. But um, this is also a team that, outside of those guys, they don't have a ton of margin for error. And this is something we've been talking about with them for the past couple of seasons, which is they drafted very well in the middle part of last decade, obviously being stocked with those Brooklyn picks, drafting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in consecutive years. But they haven't hit super hard since then. And so they're covered as a little bit bare on the back end. But that's just being a little bit nitpicky. The truth of the matter is, like I said, their eight-man rotation, their playoff rotation, if healthy, is is up there.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I have one concern when it comes to this team, which is why the Gallinari injury really sucks, is I was staring at that Al Horford spot. And the run that Al Horford went on last year in the postseason to help this Boston team, it was kind of one of those things where if if they would have won the title, it would have truly been him using every bit of gas he had left in the tank to push for for a ring finally, you know, at the end of his career. Uh, They ended up falling short. I think what's forgotten about is the guy played a really laborious 23 games in that postseason, averaging almost 36 minutes a game, and he's 36 years old going into the season. So that's part of the reason I like the Gallinari acquisition was I thought that it allowed them a little bit of front court depth potentially with Robert Williams hopefully being healthy. You could have gone Grant Williams and some small ball. You could have gone Gallinari with some shooting and playmaking. Now that Gallinari's out, it kind of comes back to you really hope that there's not You know, they have two guys on their team that are are huge injury concerns, and that's Brogdon and Robert Williams, and then Al Horford's 36. So I think it's far from a done deal, um, but overall an incredibly well-put-together team.
2: Well, I'd like to say this about Gallinari. I don't actually think there's going to be functionally any difference because I don't think he could have played in the playoffs in maybe beyond the first round. So to me... That was always an addition that was greatly overstated, in my opinion. Like, I just don't think at this point of his career, I think people are thinking of a Danilo Gallinari. I mean, he's not even the same guy he was like two seasons ago. Um, He was barely playable last year. And so I I personally don't think that when it came down to it, he was going to be playing a lot in any role greater than, like, what Davis Bertans played for the Mavericks. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. he's the same type of player, a standstill three-point shooter at this point. And I don't think that was going to get it done. I think, to your point about Horford, I think what they will need to do is they're just going to need to continuously shift minutes and responsibilities away from Horford and on to Robert and Grant Williams. And obviously Robert Williams had a huge season last year, was definitely in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. His teammate Marcus Smart won it. The ironic thing about that is when it came to the actual postseason, it was clear that Robert Williams was much better and much more important defender than him. You could have even argued maybe Tatum. But um, the point stands, like, they they should probably be able to shift some of that responsibility to those two guys. And I I think they'll be fine, ultimately. Like, I think the real question here is, and I think this is where they fell short in the finals, is do they, can Tatum and Brown reach new levels in their superstardom to push them over the top? Because I think that's personally where they fell short was they just didn't have that the top, top, top top-end talent. And if you look at all the other teams that are kind of in this title contender tier, pretty much without exception, all of them have guys that are, in that regard, older players that have done it before. And that's not to say that Tatum and Brown can't do it. It's just that is still an unknown. It's, it's It's the difference between if you're looking at the title contender tier or even talking about, you know, like Brooklyn's in their division, obviously. You look at the teams in the Western Conference; they'll be competing with. They came up against all those guys on the Warriors that have all that championship equity, and if if it was the Clippers, you have Kawhi and Paul George, and so it's just it's a real question of can Tatum and Brown get you th- get there? We know they can get you there, right? Um, I they just clearly ran out of steam in in the finals. Uh, they really. That last game was an ass-whooping, but it was a culmination of the Warriors wearing them down, and then they just didn't have it at the end.
1: No question about it. And you hope that having gone through it now one time before, again, sometimes you just need to experience what it's like to be there and what's required of you once you are there. So, I mean, just through natural growth and development of those two guys you mentioned, that could be enough maybe for them this year.
2: Yeah, these are young um, guys. I mean, and and the tough thing about this number is obviously it's a it's a big number, and so there's just by default there's more ways to go under than over. You talk about one injury, you know, could potentially do it, but I think it's worth remembering that this was a team that was hovering at 500 at the start of 2022, and was from that point to the the end of the playoffs just by you know win loss by far the best team in the NBA. From that Mm -hmm. point on. And so I think when you look at, well, how is their win total projection this year four wins higher than what they had last year? And this is an East Finalist team, that's where that comes from. Is like from the end from twenty twenty two on, they're playing at, you know, a mid high sixties win pace. And so that's where the optimism comes from. Yeah, so where did you have the number? Um I wouldn't go over on this one. I think it's gonna be right around there. I have them at fifty-four wins. And it's one of those things where I, I very much could see them coming out and having the you know, the Warriors 2015-2016 start where after the Warriors first run, there was really stupid questions about like was it fluky, did how much they benefit from injury luck, blah 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 and then they came out and they didn't lose a game until around Christmas time. No, I don't mm-hmm. think that – I would never predict another team is going to go like 20-0 and 0 to start a season. But right. I think it's possible that with their continuity um, and whatever it is that they found last year, that they could come out really strong and then just make it so that you know this number is actually pretty easy to hit. But having said all of that, um, I, I think – you know that number is a good number, and I just the injury concerns for me are greater than just me saying like, oh, I, I'm going to hang my hat on this team winning a ton of games.
1: Yeah, I also, I mean, again, the number was 55 and a half. I went under at 54 as well. I think I think it's a good line. I think they'll be right in that neighborhood. Um, but to your point, and you say this every time we get on one of these podcasts. High numbers. There's way more opportunities for them to miss it than there is to clear it. So sometimes it's just playing it safe with with the big numbers like that. Um, let's yeah, and, I'm,
2: and that's what I'm doing. Like, and I think both of us are doing that. It's like I just yeah. don't. I just this is this is a team that I don't feel passionate about, oh. uh, <laughs> and that's that's been the case throughout <laughs> this this run here and through the playoffs last year, where like I just I was picking against them with my heart, and yeah. then just every series, watching them be like, I mean, this is clearly the better team. You know, like, straight through. Um, Well,
1: it's interesting that you say not having a passion for the team because we should really move on to the Brooklyn Nets.
2: The most passionless team in the history of sports.
1: Yes. Um, The Brooklyn Nets. Um, You know, I don't even really find, and this is really bad content for me to say this, but, like, I don't find it fun to really talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, There's just... They were 44-38 and 38 last year. The Vegas line on this team going into the year is 45 and a half, so they kept it right around the same spot. And the reasons are obvious. With the high-end talent they have, they should win quite a few games. Given all the drama around this team, whether it be with Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, uh, it's really hard to believe that they're going to be able to keep the train on the tracks for an entire season. Um, really hard job for Steve Nash. There was all that drama that Stephen Ash was involved in. That was no fault of his own about the possibility of him being replaced, along with Sean Marks. Just the yeah, whole thing. We don't thing need just to necessarily me. litigate yeah.
2: that more than necessary because obviously everyone's going to be very familiar with that situation. It dominated the news cycle this yeah. summer. It's just,
1: um, you know, let's go through it from a basketball perspective. They get Joe Harris back this upcoming season, which is, you know, a pretty big deal. Ben Simmons allegedly will be back from injury. Uh, TJ Warren was added to this roster. They brought back also Patty. back from injury, also back from injury. Royce O'Neal uh, was added. Uh, Patty Mills was brought back. Seth Curry, uh, drafted. De'Ron Sharp, Kent Thomas. Uh, they signed Markeith Morris. There's just a ton of NBA dudes. Uh, Yuta Watanabe from Toronto. There's a ton of NBA dudes. They actually have a roster that, on paper, I like quite a bit. Um, going oh, all yeah, the way this from is, the top end. This is end probably talent. their best
2: roster that they've had in this era.
1: No question. I think it's, I mean, I, I legitimately believe I can come up with, you know, 10 guys. There are 10 guys deep.
2: Okay. So Dan, let me ask you this. Are you also a big over? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. So here's, um, yeah, I want to, I want to get into that a little bit. Um, yeah, It. this is where this comes, this is where it's going to come down to for me is I don't believe in the long term sustainability of this project for obvious reasons. However, if there was a season where they had an opportunity to put it all together, I think it's this season. Because I think when you're in the type of situation that they were in, and you and I both have a lot of experience managing people and managing teams, mm-hmm. when you have people on your team that are causing issues with with just like the vibe of the group, the most prosperous times that you have when you have groups like that are times after big blow-ups because people hold stuff in for the you know just their own sanity the good of the for the good of the group and then eventually that boils over and what happens when that boils over is finally a little bit of honesty and so if you want to be optimistic about this You're being optimistic about the fact that these problems that they were having, Sean Marks, and to a lesser extent Steve Nash, but let's just say Sean Marks here, basically losing control of their franchise to their players, that's something that built up over the course of three seasons. Mm -hmm. And it finally boiled over. And so you would have to imagine that they have had some level of open dialogue between the organization and their star players, and at least for this moment, right now, they are there's probably somewhat of an understanding of where everybody's coming from. And now that's where I say, like, I don't believe in the long term sustainability of this because I think we're starting at a point again where it's like that's going to start to bubble up again, but at least right now. If you believe the reporting about all the various conversations they had as as units this year, I think this season is is the season where they could be on the same page more than they have the last couple of years. And then you look at, like you said, the talent on their roster. The talent on their roster is ridiculous. And especially for a over underline at forty five games, I mean, it's So it's opportunity. That's really what I'm looking at. It's like this could fail spectacularly in terms of a bet, but this is not – I would rather worry about chemistry stuff on a bet than I would about talent. Like they're just not going to be able to get there because if they can get that chemistry part together, and I'm not discounting that, you and I are Mr. Chemistries, um, it's just it's a big opportunity to to win big on a bet here.
1: Yeah, I have them – and And I was selfish when when I did this i I put them over like and I believe they'll be over easily, but I put them at forty seven so I could give wins to other teams that I like more. So I mean, if I was betting it, it would just be an over uh, on the number forty five and a half. I will say this, um you know you were throwing out some real positive Brooklyn vibes there, I'll kind of piggyback on it and say, things last year were so bad. And although Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant as a, as a tandem, um, I don't trust, you know, their personalities. Um, I don't know what their motivations are a lot of times, but I think both of them are at least savvy enough guys to understand that last year was, was fairly embarrassing. And they'll walk back into the building with a lot of new faces. So again, like if Ben Simmons is healthy, that's great, but Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren, um, Mark more like there's enough there's enough new to the situation this year versus last coupled with the fact that I think the motivations will be right I think Kyrie Irving will probably want to play
2: basketball and play a ton of games um, I mean he make... should because he is he's facing down a situation where he could find himself playing on league minimums for the rest of his career if he doesn't mind his P's and Q's this year yeah. And then the flip side of that is, I mean, it's really, it's like a $200 million proposition this season for Kyrie.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I think the motivations are are in line with what you're talking about, where they should be able, at least for this one season, you're not betting on the longevity of this arrangement, but for this one season, if I had to bet it, it would be that they're going to be able to to put together a pretty quality season with the guys that they have. And to be fair to the front office too, again, I hate to even bring this up, but the last two teams we've talked about, it really does matter because the individuals involved. Like, barring these guys not being able to recover properly from injury, like, they're going to have a lot of dudes to play around with, which, again, on a team a team we saw last year post Harden trade, there was guys in the rotation that just shouldn't have been playing in a Nets rotation with, with KD and Kyrie. Like they just weren't on that level to be in that rotation. So, hopefully, with with adding some of these more veteran players that still have, you know, hopefully some gas left in the tank, um, they'll be able to to have some good, fun rotations built around these two guys.
2: Yeah, and Katie and Kyrie, to say the least, not exactly known for being galvanizing figures <laughs> to, to the rest of the group, no. but they're two guys that are respected immensely by their peers because they can do things that other players cannot. And the, and yep. I uh, I think that whatever it is their antics that drive people outside of the game nuts and media members nuts. I think that the the group of people that can tolerate that the most, ironically, is their peers because of their respect for their craft, you know, and what they do. And frankly, like I think these the players are a little weirder. And more close to like on the Kyrie spectrum than people like to admit that they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, inter- yeah. So um, without getting into that, because that's not really what we do on this pod. Um, but I think yeah, you 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 nailed it when you talk about all the different vets and styles of play they could have. I mean, realistically, they could they could play a lot of different styles, man. And I mm-hmm. think they should have. They should have probably the best offense in the NBA would be my my guess. I don't think their, their regular season defense is going to be atrocious. But I think come playoff time, and I think clearly this was the roster they built, um, they were able to defend two years ago when they were seriously contending. And what they were doing was they were playing a switching scheme with a lot of forward size players and they've tripled down on that with their additions to their team. So I think what you're going to see is offensively, I don't think there's a lot of questions there. You have in transition, you have Ben Simmons surrounded by a ton of shooters. Basically any way you configure their their lineups, there's a shitload of shooting. So it's like in transition, you have the opportunity to to really get out there with Ben Simmons and shooting. In the half court, KD is the best isolation player. Kyrie is a top-five isolation player, maybe the second-best isolation player in the league. Um, And then defensively, their scheme is clearly, okay, we're going to have KD, we're going to have Ben Simmons. That's two damn near seven-footers that can switch, and we're going to play either Claxton or Royce O'Neal or both In crunch time with those guys and if we need to go offense defense we can bring in Seth Curry and Joe Harris for our offensive possessions and we can bring in our defensive guys for the defensive ones and so to me it's there's there's really like and this is a huge variable like you cannot overstate how big of a variable this is but it's, it's really just the chemistry that can hold them back because this is not like where you look at other teams, even in the same tier as them, where you go like, uh, you know, can they, you know, how are they going to score at the end of games or how are they going to do this or that? It's like there's really one thing holding this team back and it's the personalities of the people involved um, because the, they just have the ability to do a lot of things on the court if they can keep their shit together.
1: Yeah, and as somebody who's just been sickened um, by what's what's gone on with that team basically since the tail end of last, I mean, all of last season to an extent, but definitely the tail end of them just getting their asses handed to them in the playoffs and, and going out with a whimper and then everything this offseason, I'm excited to see if they can just do what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving constantly preach they want to do, which is just play basketball.
2: I just want to like, hoop, man. Yeah, <laughs> it would
1: just be great if this team could just roll the ball out and play some basketball. Yeah. Um, Because, again, I mean, you and I have been, you know, huge Ben Simmons fans for a long time. I'm legitimately excited to see that dude play basketball again. I'm excited to see him play with this team.
2: I mean, I'm very excited to see him play with this team.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, uh, we'll move off the Nets. We'll move to the next team alphabetically in this division, which is the New York Knicks. um, The former uh, trade partner for... Uh, our boy Donovan Mitchell. Sorry, blanking. Yeah. Um,
2: well, hey Dan, you know what? Before we go to the the Knicks, though, why don't we why don't we take this caller? Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's go. So I have a question for you
0: guys. So, so what are your thoughts on uh, on Patrick Beverly, former Minnesota Timberwolves, now <laughs> playing with the Lakers, teaming teaming up with Anthony Davis and LeBron James?
2: Dan, you want to take this one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly,
1: I thought it was a good addition for the Lakers. I think it's going to make for a really interesting battle for that starting point guard spot. To be honest, I grew into a huge pat. I've been a huge Patrick Beverly fan for a long time just because I admire the way that he plays. Um, and obviously admired him as a, as a vet on last year's Timberwolves team. But to be honest, I think he's probably a good fit. He's a low usage point guard to play on the LeBron James team. And it really is, you know, the scene from Dark Knight with the pool cues between him and Russ and uh, and now Dennis Schroeder where they're really going to just make those <laughs> dudes fight for that job. Um, which Patrick Beverly is up for a fight. So, uh, no, I figured he'd end up on a veteran-laden team um, after the trade to Utah. And I'm glad to see that he ended up on, on the Lakers roster for now.
0: So what are your thoughts and um, what qualities do you think Patrick Beverly is going to bring to this to this very talented L.A. Lakers uh, basketball
1: team? Um, I don't know, man. I think it's really too early to tell. Like, I don't even know if he'll be on the roster, to be honest. like Right now, it's kind of a training camp battle for the point guard spot. Um, but he would bring what he's brought everywhere, which is just he the attitude he plays with, uh, you hope is infectious, especially with younger players on the roster. Guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis don't need somebody to get them prepped to play in big moments or in big games, so Patrick Beverly's veteran presence isn't really going to help there. I will say that last year, Russell Westbrook's defensive effort was so horrific at times that if Beverly was going to be the one to have the starting job, at the very least, they found somebody that can make up for what I thought was the biggest deficiency of Russell Westbrook's last year. I mean, like,
0: um, have you, um, as a a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, have you seen um, that Patrick Beverly can um, put up big numbers and big moments and just turn the whole game around? I think um, he can
2: I'll, I'll take this one.. Yeah, yeah I think I think, he, I think what he does more than that is it's, it's the culmination of having him around and just what that does for the rest of the players. And that actually does somewhat underrate what he does on the court because what he does on the court is uh, he plays great uh, point of attack defense, of course. Um, offensively, sometimes he gets a little over his skis in a way that on a team with LeBron and AD is not really going to get it done. However, he's a fine catch-and-shoot player, and he has a ton of history playing with ball-dominant players and a lot of success doing so. And so you think back to his very successful pairing with James Harden earlier in his career, and then, of course, playing in L.A. with Kawhi and Paul George. He's very familiar with playing... Uh, or excuse me, playing with other players that need the rock, and so he's actually a kind of the perfect archetype of a point guard that you want to have when you have a type of player like LeBron James that, when it really comes down to it, is going to have the rock. And so I think, yeah, I, honestly, I think it's a great fit for for their organization. I think he will start. So when and... you... go ahead. So
0: when you look at Patrick Beverly. Um, do you trust him that when the team is down and the team has no motivation and um, they're like the the spirit uh, the whole team is down? Do you think that Patrick Beverly can lift that up and inspire the whole team to win as a whole and then get get um and kind of like inspire like some some uh, hope into into the whole team and the team kind of gonna feel like we have this um we have this person behind us and um now we're now we're inspired to get a win because. You know, we have this positive role model on our team now.
2: You definitely hope so. I mean, that was a team that is um, really sleepwalking through through the season last year and really have sleptwalked through most of the seasons with the exception of that bubble year that LeBron has been there. And that can be really tricky when you have late career guys like LeBron. And we were just talking about the Brooklyn Nets. They're very similar to the Lakers, which is – Those guys, like Dan said, they don't need the motivation to get up for a big game, but their lack of consistent fire as leaders is not helpful to the rest of the guys in the roster that do need that. You know what I mean? Like it's not like they're surrounded by other 38 year old guys that know how to flip the switch. Like nobody else, nobody else is in that group. And so what we saw with the Wolves last year is Patrick Beverley is just really consistent. And by that, I mean he's consistent with his approach. He's always going to be very loud, very vocal. He has a very good sense of when his team has the wrong type of energy. And that's when you see him get technical fouls or that's when you see him um, really get into it with, Maybe just take a guy from 94 feet, you know, and so he has a really good sense for that, and I think, yeah, I mean, as far it, it's it's actually really similar to the trade that Tim Wolves made last year. That ultimately the Wolves traded Jarrett Culver for him, and they're swapping out Talon Horton Tucker for him, and it's I I he's just a guy that consistently punches above his weight, and I think. If you want to be optimistic about the Lakers, it's a crazy thing to say. I think a lot of it is his influence on the team. Um,
0: and and a question I would like to ask you is that, um, what are your thoughts on D'Angelo Russell, who um, <laughs> currently, by the way, does play for the Minnesota Timberwolves? By the way, I just looked up looked it up on Google right now on my phone.
2: Well, did you? What did? You, how did you feel about him when he played for the Warriors?
0: Um, I think he was good for the. Uh, on the Warriors, but I think that um, I totally agree that he wants to go go back and play for his former team, um, and I don't have any problem with that because if he want if he feels that he uh, wants to play for his old ball club and he he he, he um and uh, um I know he had success with that team, so um I have no uh, problem um if he wants to get traded to his uh, to the Timberwolves, which was the team he used to play for back um when he got traded to the Warriors. Now he got traded back to the Minnesota Timberwolves.
1: Well, I'll just keep my feelings on D'Angelo Russell pretty brief because we're going to talk about him an absolute ton on this show as the season begins. But D'Angelo Russell is a guy that I personally believe gets uh, a lot of shit that is probably not entirely deserving based on his performance and his production. I think this is a big year for him on this team specifically because they actually do need a lot of what D'Angelo Russell could be, which is a steady veteran point guard to kind of keep things in line during, during peak moments of a game or in high leverage situations throughout the season. Um, he's obviously far more experienced than his backcourt mate Anthony Edwards in that way. And on top of that too, I think there were aspects of, of his performance last year that were just, you know, career, career lows for him in a lot of areas. And just, um, areas that I thought historically he had performed better in. And I hope that this, uh, upcoming season, you're going to see some, some vast improvement, both in his, his shot making, which I always thought was going to turn around as the season went on. And it just never kind of came around like I thought it would. Um, and then also his ability to, um, you know, act as more of a team defender, um, and help in that backcourt, especially with Anthony Edwards being a young player and needing the help. So, um,
0: so as a, as the Golden State Warriors fan, um, it makes me, it absolutely disheartens me that you have two former Warrior players on your roster. You have <laughs> D'Angelo Russell and Eric Castle, who are two former Golden State Warriors who played for my team, and now they play for your Minnesota Timberwolves.
2: It's true. Yeah, but in fairness, you have Andrew Wiggins, who has turned into a great player, and you have Jonathan Kaminga, who Dan and I are, like, crazy high on. Obsessed. So with. I think if you put those guys on the scale, I think the Warriors are winning in a pretty significant way. Yeah, Eric Pascoe might not be on the roster by the time. But I'm anyway, go hey, out. man, thank you for calling us again. We yeah, really appreciate, appreciate it. it.
0: And uh and uh don't hesitate don't uh uh hesitate to hook me up because I was like calling I was like coming on calling and calling into all your shows.
2: Anytime, man, anytime. Perfect, okay. thank you.
1: See ya. See ya. All right, so we're gonna move on to the Knicks. Um appreciate the call there. Got into some topics that we weren't prepared to discuss, but that was fun. Um so back to the Knicks. So this is a team that last year finished with thirty-eight wins. Uh, 37 wins. I'm sorry. The over under is set at 39.5. So they, Vegas has them at a two and a half win increase from last year. Um, overall, like a pretty disappointing off season for the Knicks, considering that they were seen to be the obvious uh, Donovan Mitchell location, which didn't end up happening. But they did get Jalen Brunson. Um, they they did land their their big fish. They had been they had been casting for him for months. It seemed like and. This is a team that I uh, Isaiah
2: Hartenstein too Dan let's not let's not forget Hartenstein it's not nothing it's you not nothing, I both
1: man. you and I both like Isaiah Hartenstein
2: um, no I think this is
1: I'm very excited actually weirdly I'm excited to watch this next team me this year. too man um, I just think it's gonna be the same as last year when it comes to wins and losses but I am very excited to see it
2: it's hard to say because they had a a, a version of a season from hell last year and they had you know career low performances from some of their key players they're also a team that has a ton of young guys and so you have to bake in some internal improvement from some if not all of those guys the question just becomes like what does that all add up to because Mm -hmm. it's really more about that i feel like these wins are going to be tough to come by because i think I don't know. Like, I don't really expect Julius Randle to be as bad as he was last season. I think Mitchell Robinson should be better. I think R.J. Barrett should be better. Brunson, better. Um, And then when you get to their young bench guys, quickly, better. Obi Toppin, better. Quentin Grimes, better. Um, Cam Reddish, MIA. So, like... (laughs) I just, I mean, they they are quietly a team that has a lot of young guys. And that's also one of the reasons why they were seen to be the best suitor for Donovan Mitchell is they had, in addition to having a bunch of picks. And this is actually, for this season, Dan, this is where, to me, not acquiring Donovan Mitchell is sneakily disastrous, in addition to, obviously, just not having Donovan Mitchell. is. Yeah. They traded the 12th pick in the draft this year to get extra future picks to put into a trade for Donovan Mitchell that ultimately Danny Ainge and co. were not interested in. They were only interested in the unprotected New York picks. They traded their 12th pick this season for some protected picks in the future, which still could pay out well for them in future trades. But at the end of the day, they turned the 12th pick in the, for this season, they turned the 12th pick into the draft into absolutely nothing to help them out
1: well so let me ask you about this because you mentioned all the young talent that the team has on the roster and that that could lead to an improved uh, performance this year this could change but today are you take rj barrett out out of it are you really high do you think there's like all-star potential or high-end starter potential with any of the guys that they have here Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin. Not Cam
2: Reddish no. <laughs> anymore. Okay. I've seen enough on Cam Reddish. But no, I, I do think that all of Toppin, Grimes, and Quickly have starter potential for sure. Okay. I mean, and maybe, maybe Toppin has like Julius Randle type potential. You know what I mean? As in like a guy that could be a one-off all-NBA one-off. Um, All star type player sometime in the future. It's obviously not happening this season, or really any time while they have Julius Randle and Tibbs still on the team because he's like pigeonholed to be playing sixteen minutes a game. Yeah. But um, I actually do. I actually do like those guys quite a bit, and I actually like in some ways that they have been forced to develop the way that they have in a niche way. They've been able to kind of fly under the radar and have to perform in a very narrow way as opposed to if you go to the type of team where their priority is just developing the young guys, they're just going to play and play and play and develop bad habits. And so I think for Obi Toppin, it's crazy. Cause he's, you know, he's certainly not young by any stretch. I mean, he's like right. four or five years older than RJ Barrett, but for him, I, I think he's just a classic example of a guy that we just totally... We, as in the NBA draft and NBA community, we're just totally wrong about the type of player he was because he's basically seen as a ready-made guy that can immediately contribute offensively, will never be able to defend at all in his career. And what he, what he has so far end up being is actually like an energy player that's great in transition and is surprisingly held up pretty well defensively. And I think a lot of the reason why he's held up pretty well defensively is because he wasn't thrust into a role right away where you know, he was just going to get all he could eat on offense. His real pathway to playing was defending well. And so, I actually Tibbs is kind of funny because Tibbs is rightfully criticized for being like maniacally present, focused. But one, he is he has a great track record, frankly, of developing role players, and that that goes back to Chicago. He did it in Minnesota, also, and he has done it with this team. So no, I'm actually pretty optimistic about their young guys. It's just a question of if, is it going to happen here, or are we going to, you know, put them together in a trade? I think they are a great candidate to make some type of present focus panic move. Like they're like basically in the exact position they were in when they made that Andrea Bargnani trade. So I feel like yeah. I feel like they are they are right in the path to do that. Something like that. But if they could just stay the course. <laughs> I didn't even say Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson's younger than Obi Toppin also, but like they if they could just stay the course, man, like they actually are building something pretty interesting.
1: I agree with you. Um the reason I asked is with a lot of these guys I would say it's 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 less likely that you're you're looking at future all-stars in quickly Grimes and Toppin, but it's not impossible. I would say it's it does it does seem like you're looking at starter caliber players, which is not nothing, especially with some of the picks that they used to get these guys. Here's what next season, I mean if I just want to isolate it to one year. There's two big things to me. Number one, I think these guys are going to be uh, guys that develop on a, on a slightly longer timeline. I don't think they're going to make some kind of leap. Uh, the Eastern Conference is better. And on top of it, I think the addition of Jalen Brunson will be a little overstated because I think playing with Luka helps a lot. Um, now, it doesn't mean that I don't like Jalen Brunson as a player. I just don't think that he's going to come into this situation and and, you know, improve your you know, your season performance by four or five wins just for having Jalen Brunson on your roster,
2: so... Yeah, he's on the D-low tier of yeah, exactly. cards. Yeah, very and, nice And player. actually, like, you know, it's a fine contract, it's a fine asset, but I agree with you. I just, you know, I'm more interested in the path that sees them, you know, frankly, not have added Jalen Brunson and traded um, Julius Randle, and you, at this point, you let the young guys go... You know, I was just saying, oh, you don't want to put these young guys in a situation where they just arbitrarily get all they can eat, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, these guys are third, four, three, four-year vets. Quentin Grimes is an old second-year player, so it's really not the same situation anymore. Um, Their cache of young players, Dan, reminds me a lot of where the Raptors were before they acquired Kawhi Leonard. And people that were observing that closely, and I I was not, not close enough, would always talk about this young, this group of young guys that they had behind their starters, behind Valanchunas, DeMar DeRozan, et cetera. And I just never really saw it. I was like, I don't really know why you'd be all that excited about Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OGN, and OB. I'm like, these guys are, you know, they're older. They were not, none of them were premium draft picks and obviously they ended up being what they ended up being and so i i i do i do think that they have so many balls in the air in terms of these youngish guys that i i do feel like some of them are going to go and this is i guess not really what we're talking about in this podcast but a long way of saying that like for a team that projects to be in the play-in range, which typically that means you're like a Washington Wizards team, it's just not very fun to talk about. This is a team that's going to be, frankly, a team that I'm very excited to watch over the course of this season.
1: Yeah, me too. There's like a there's a bevy of things that I want to pay attention to. The Julius Randle thing is fascinating to me. The young guys coming up, uh, trying to figure out what their best rotations are. Yeah,
2: and you and I are ironically like... Two of the bigger Julius Randle fans um, yeah, just people that watch the league closely. Yes. Yes.
1: I will beg the Knicks. I mean, last year they had 37 wins. Um I have them at 38 this season. I will beg them to be better in MSG. Like they were they were better on the road than they were at home. I think they were like 17 and 24 or 25 something like, or no, it would be 17 and 24 because of 41 games. But I mean, come on. I mean when we watch Nick games, they're likely going to be at MSG. It would be nice for you guys to show out, at least in that building, for these some of these big national TV spots. What did you have the
2: win total at, Rick? I had them at forty, so just like right yeah, in the range. This is de- absolutely a stay away. It's 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 in stark contrast to what we were just talking about with Brooklyn, where the upside is so apparent and they're also not getting priced in the way that their talent is. Like this is like pretty much feels like the median outcome for their season. And then especially unlike the, the Nets, where it's like, okay, well, the high-end outcome for the Nets are like they win 60 games. That's just really not there for a team with this talent level, short of R.J. Barrett making the type of leap that, you know, it's certainly possible in his fourth year in the league, but neither of us are really predicting. Um, I think that's right on the money where they are. So this is a this is a stay away for me. This is in the yeah, Boston I'd... range. I'd stay away from this one. So far we only have one that I would bet. Yeah, I'm not touching.
1: I'm not touching the Knicks. But we will move on to the Philadelphia 76ers whose number is 49 and a half. Rick, I'd like to lead here. Ugh. How I hate the Philadelphia 76ers because I love the team so much and they disappoint me constantly. How How is it that this is their starting five? Maxie, Harden, P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. Yeah, that's not a 49-win
2: team. I'll then they go D'An-
1: D'Anthony, Melton, Matisse, Stiebel, Daniel House, Montrez, Harold, Georges Niang, Paul Reed, er, Furkan Korkmaz, and Shake Milton. How the fuck does this team not win more? <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense to me. That five that I laid out, that it, that has me salivating. That should be so
2: good. What am I missing? Well, what, this is the thing. is, I was actually thinking about this a lot this morning. This, this team is a study in what you shouldn't do when you have a good foundation, which is they have just tinkered with their team every single year. And it's hilarious to say this because their second most important player, James Harden, was just acquired like six months ago. But this is like the most continuity they've had season over season. Really and Embiid broke out, it's like every single year with Embiid, they have rebuilt the starting lineup with a different theory of what they were going to be. And this is really, honestly, the first season that they're going into the year where it's like, no, the theory here is the same that it was before, which sure. is... Everything revolves around Joel on offense. We're going to have some shooting around Joel, and we're going to increase the amount of playmaking we have around him to hopefully not tax him that much in the regular season so he can actually get to the finish line, which he has not been able to do yet. And so for me, I'm looking at this for the purposes of this podcast. I'm looking at it a lot like how I'm looking at that Brooklyn one, which is the upside is there and they are not getting priced you know, at the level they should be for the amount of talent that's on this roster. And, frankly, having a coach that, you know, for all of... Everything about this team is like you're just worried about them in the postseason. But, like, James Harden always wins a lot of games. Doc Rivers always wins a lot of games. Joel Embiid always wins a lot of games. So, like, to me, I'm like, eh, I really like this, this isn't over. Um, and this is really their all-in season. And they had a, a really nice offseason around the margins. They added some really nice role players. And so, uh, you know, I mean, just when you think it's over, man, they, they bring you right back in. And so this, I'm prepared to die on this hill for like the ninth time. Yeah, I'm, I'm all over this. 49-and-a-half um, is such
1: a quintessential Vegas line, the same way with the Nets. They're two teams that are incredibly polarizing, so you're trying to entice action on both sides of the number. But the reason the Philly one doesn't make any sense to me is how do you not... I mean, this is the one in this particular division that I was like, I'm going to hammer this number. Like, yeah. there are so many paths to 50 wins for this team. Oh, it's that, ridiculous. Yeah, that Even
2: I'm just... with them, like, having a like Embiid missed 30 games it doesn't matter
1: like not not that I shouldn't say that so flippantly of course it would matter but this team has enough talent to paperclip their way through an Embiid absence as long as it's not like a season season long absence Uh, I will say that this team is one of the most talented teams in the league I actually I actually think that they're extremely well constructed and put together I agree. Um, whether it be in their starting five, whether it be, I mean, I think they go about 13 deep with guys you would feel comfortable playing. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. So I just, but again, Philly does this to me every year. It's like this team should win way over 50 uh, games this upcoming season, and they should be a real force in the playoffs, like a title contender. We should come out of the regular season preparing for the playoffs, believing that Philly could win the
2: title. That's well, my so belief. Dan, this is the part of the show where, I tell you that they are my pick to win the title this season. <laughs> God damn it!
1: <laughs> We're falling so hard for
2: this dude. Team. I have them at fifty-six wins, and I have them as the NBA champion. Jesus Christ! Okay, I have them at fifty-three. Uh, I I have not
1: gotten to the point yet where I'm I'm picking a title team. You shouldn't. I, I cannot pick the seventy-six. You're going to pick
2: a team that with James Harden and Doc Rivers to win the championship. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can't do it. I mean, I just won't do it, but I will defend you in this way. Hearing you say that makes me kind of feel good because when I was looking at this team prepping for this podcast, I was like, so this is like the best team in the league, right? Like this team is, this team is fucking
2: loaded. Yeah, no, they're stacked, man. (laughs) Um, so anyway, okay,
1: Philly. Love Philly. Let's move on to the final team in this division, uh, which is the Toronto the Raptors. The toughest team in this division. They are the toughest team in this division. Uh, this is a team that went 48-34 and 34 last year. Um, kind of outkicked their coverage when it came to, to the win total. Um, their number this year is 44 and a half. Um I had a slight over at 46, so I have them scaling slightly back from last year's total, but pretty comfortably clearing uh, the over-under number. Toronto is a team, and I'm going to kick it to you, Rick, but Toronto's a team that you and I have been obsessed with for a long time just because we respect so much about the business that they do, like how they build a team, the type, Yeah, of I think
2: they're, they're the training. best. I think at this point they are the best organization in the yeah. NBA. Yeah, I think I agree with that.
1: And uh, I'll be honest, like the biggest reason that I'm so fascinated with this team is they everything on this roster, I, I even include Pascal Siakam in this, even though he's kind of a, a vet at this point everybody on their roster outside of Tad Young is like still very much developing. Absolutely. So, or an auto Porter, I guess was a late addition, but anyway, like, yeah, but like their core, still,
2: their core players.
1: Yeah. Everybody is still very much in a develop, one of the developmental stages. And so they don't have to make any moves to improve. Now, again, like the 46 wins is really just a, out of respect for the conference. Like, I really do believe the conference is going to be difficult to get through. Um, so 46 is actually a compliment
2: yeah it's just it's hard this is a tough number because in no way are they worse than they were last year and then the number is set for them to be four wins worse than they were last year Uh and they improved from obviously just like internal development and continuity but also just in the moves they made like Quadrupling down on having guys that are around the same size, um, and I think let me let me let's Dan. Why don't you count this here? we well, yep. now these are guys on their team that are taller than six foot seven. Okay, uh, and why don't we just do guys that will play? All right, that's probably better. Yeah, Og, Og, Precious, Otto Porter, Tad Young, Kem Birch, Scotty Barnes. I'm going to put Delano Benton in there as, like, a real back-end guy. Um, Pascal, Chris Boucher. That's nine. That's nine guys. And so they are – to say that they are all in on this style of basketball that you and I have forecasted as being the future of basketball is like a – it's like a gross understatement. And so it's weird to talk about that, and we talked, we've talked about this with OKC – and um, Orlando like clearly believing this is the future and building their roster this way. And then you have a team that is presently constructed like that with guys that are in various stages of development or primes and to not be like crazy high on them. But the reason for that is because they don't at this moment have that marquee superstar and they are, they're really just that one marquee superstar away from being a real contender because everybody is just, like, one spot too high on on the pecking order. Yep. And if you just could push everybody down by one spot, that's where they are. And that's where they're hanging their hat on with Scotty Barnes. Um, and you just wonder, like, is that too much to ask of a guy that is 20, 21 years old? And the answer is, like, almost unequivocally yes. Um, but with with no exceptions, this the people around Toronto – The team, the people that cover them, obviously they're rabid fans, believe Scotty Barnes is a franchise player, and you and I had him very high in our ranking of of young players. And so I think a lot of their ceiling, I mean, to me, this is like the numbers that they have and what they were last year is basically their floor Mm -hmm. because of just how just they're just a well-constructed team with a lot of good players the ceiling of this team is Scotty Barnes and it's you just, I mean, predicting how and when young guys are going to pop is like among the most difficult things to do in, in like scouting sports, where and how and what do you think Scotty Barnes could do to improve his game? And like, how would that, do you agree with me like that's basically like the number one question with this team for the season?
1: Yes, if he's going to be a superstar, it, the team will go as far as Scotty Barnes takes them. His development will determine how, how uh, this team performs this year. I'll say this about Scotty Barnes. You ask like, what do you want him to do better? Honestly, man, it's what I, I mean with most young players, regardless of how talented they are. It's, it's like simple stuff. It's like play with more fluidity. You know, have better just instincts on the basketball court. Um, But those things come with experience. Like, Scotty Barnes was one of those guys that missed opportunities to cut occasionally. uh, Missed opportunities to take a guy off the dribble when the guy's head was turned. Like, he just was not picking up on certain things. And, I mean, it wasn't that he was missing it entirely. He was, like, a split second late on a ton of stuff. Um, But all of his development, really, that I want to see is, like, on the offensive end. Because defensively... He is, he's about as good as I've seen, as young as I've seen um, of anybody. Like, he, his anticipation, his wingspan, his motor defensively is really, really special for a guy guarding the wing. And so, Scotty, I think, is just naturally his ball handling. And the response, what's interesting is like, what, maybe this is a better way to frame it. What will Toronto this season ask Scotty Barnes to do offensively? it's a there. great
2: question man i mean i think there's so many ways you can go with it and i think it's it's really because right now i think what he is is and this is what makes him a really good player at his size and his age is he's currently a jack of all trades mm-hmm. um which is a hell of a thing to be when you're six nine two thirty. You know, it's, like, not really a great thing to be when you're <laughs> other sizes. But, like, if you're that big and you're a jack-of-all-trades, it means you're you're just, like, incredibly versatile. You can play all over the court. Um, he showed stuff last year in the mid-range that was very unexpected. I think, like, people thought... People thought, honestly, he's like what people are talking about Jeremy Sochan as being, you know, for... Um, for San Antonio, like kind of a zero on half-court offense, not really a shooter, not a guy that's going to create for himself. But what he showed last year was (laughs) these flashes of being able to get buckets for himself in a way that just was not on the scouting report, you know, for him as a prospect. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying, like, are we going to try to develop into, you know, your prototypical wing scorer Kawhi, Paul George, KD, Tatum type, where it's like a, a mid range killer. To me, that doesn't exactly feel like his game. So it's like, all right, well, do we are replanning we on him as our jumbo sized lead ball handler when we eventually get to a place where everybody on their starting lineup is six foot nine or above? Maybe. So that's the question. I mean, I think the the interesting thing about this team is they are bold, man. So, like, I definitely expect them to, because they have so many uh, eggs in the Scotty Barnes basket. That whatever it is that they believe he's going to be, I think they're going to thrust that on him this season, and we're going to find out what that is early. Do you have any type of inclination of what that might be, or is he just like too much of a jack of all trades to even, with the information you and I have, to even say like, oh, let's hone in on this.
1: It's it's really, really hard, man, because the team is also built to not allow him exclusively to do certain things. Correct. So, like, you currently have Fred VanVleet under contract as your starting point guard. You have Gary Trent on the roster. You have OG and Pascal. There's a lot of dudes, man, that have a little bit of playmaking and can handle
2: the ball a little bit and need to be in a picked Oh, yeah. I mean, when I, we hell. went to, you know, me and my wife went to the Raptors game last year, and VanVleet was out and... Pascal was the point guard
1: yeah that's my and that's kind of my point is like I'm I will be very interested to watch Toronto this season because Toronto will tell you what they kind of want Scotty Barnes to be with you know when you look at his game and using a pie analogy it's like okay what sliver is playmaking as the primary ball handler what sliver is just being a cutter and and you know offensive rebounder and just kind of a disruptor um which side of it is maybe you being, you know, both the screener and the ball handler in a pick and roll, and, and get you going downhill like off from the elbow, you know, and stuff like that. It's just like I'm curious what they ask him to do um, because at this point he hasn't shown us that he can't do anything. That's what
2: I would I would say about Scotty Barnes. Yep. And so yeah, you and I are just going to be mealy mouthed on this guy because it's like we're just not we don't know enough to know and. No. Perhaps if we were like the type of Raps fans where you watch eighty two games, you'd have a better feel for that. Um, we just don't have a feel for that. I mean I rap I mean, I'll spoil it for everybody. I have a shitload of Raptors apparel and I love the Raptors. <laughs> um but even having said that, you know, when you're not when you're not they're not your primary team. I mean I probably watched them play like thirty times last year, you know, which is a lot for like not your non- Yeah, for one not team. your primary but, team, yeah. But still, I mean you know, there's only so much you can know. And so this is one that I am more in the zone of, I'm just enjoying the ride, especially because they are building a team very different than a lot of other teams. And that's not just like with personnel um, and the type of guys they're going after. It's really, it's the philosophy of how they're building it. It's, it's very similar, frankly, to the Memphis Grizzlies. um, And just like, Everybody is constantly reshuffling the deck and constantly like being an all-or-nothing team, constantly in the pursuit of more draft picks or more assets to turn into more veterans or whatever. And the Raptors are really, like Memphis, just slow-cooking it with the guys that they have. And so that often yields a team that is better than the sum of their parts on paper— And clearly that's what they were last year. And I think that, you know, you'd kind of expect that to be the case again this year. Um, But because I have such an affinity for this team and because it's so murky, what it is, it's a stay away bet for me. No, I agree
1: with you. I mean, it's just ridiculous to kind of recap this a little bit. Um, we led saying how strong this division was we just spoke poetically about how much you and I both love the Toronto Raptors. I've them finishing fourth in their own division.
2: Yeah. I think that's so, the
1: consensus for sure. Which again is, is kind of, re- it makes you feel as though you're missing something when you do this exercise and then look back over the results because my belief in Toronto. And, and again, this is me falling for the Philadelphia 76ers yet again, this is me betting on the nets. Um, Toronto is the most steady, stable team of that group of teams.
2: Oh, yeah, if you could give the Toronto Raptors organization the rosters of any of the three teams ahead of them, we'd be like, title team. (laughs) Exactly right, exactly right. Um, But, yeah, so, anyway, any last thoughts on the Atlantic before we we get off here? I just don't know how it's going to work, and thank God for the plan, because really every one of these teams should feel like, I mean, we're really just talking about Toronto and the Knicks here, feel like they should have a claim for being a a playoff team. I mean, I think anything short of being a a rock-solid playoff team for the Knicks would result in some massive turnover in the operation. And so I think just having that as your baseline, having that as your consensus fifth team is so different than most other divisions that it's you're really trying to piece it together. And this is where... This is what's really fun about the NBA right now and the way that the talent is distributed is they have to actually play these games. This is not we're not just like rolling it out, rolling the string out until we get to the inevitable conclusion. We've got to play these games to see who's going to get injured, who's going to have chemistry problems, whose coach is on the hot seat, all of these things. Um, and we can predict them and it's fun to predict them, but realistically this is, they just got to play these games and we got to see how it's going to go. And that's, that's as a fan, that's the best case scenario. Absolutely.
1: Um, and this is, you and I spend a lot of time watching this division naturally or have for the pe- the better part of the last two or three years as we did the tough watch podcast. And this year will be no different. We will spend a lot of time on this division. Um,
2: but well, is... Dan, if this if we were doing the Tough Watch podcast, I don't think any of these teams will... I, it, the Knicks would be the only contender, and they would maybe not even be in the Tough Watch. We would have shoehorned them in to start the year, I'm confident. We'd have I, had to I have know just us. because yeah. of the quantity of teams. But <laughs> yeah, like,
1: exactly. But no, they're not a Tough Watch team. Like Historically not. speaking, they're not a Tough Absolutely Watch team. Absolutely not. Um, but no, it's this was fun, man. We got the Atlantic out of the way, so we've got two in the East, one in the West completed now. We'll be back midweek. Don't know of a date yet. Rick and I are awfully busy, so we'll find a day, whether it be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and release the next. And I think we should probably just keep uh, kind of keep the momentum rolling where we'll go west now that we just got done with the east. And uh, that's as much as we'll give you.
2: Well, before. no, I think we can tell them that. I mean, I well, guess we and have talked about this, but we'll do the Pacific Division next. Um. Yep,
1: yep agreed yep the pacific is i mean anybody who listens to this should know that we're going to save the wolves division for for the last so
2: and the pacific division is uh the mirror image of this um of this atlantic division down to that the kings and the knicks (laughs) are like consistently the same type of team (laughs) yes they are um Oh, God, yes, I can't wait. It It is, Dan. Tell me that's not a mirror image. No, right, let's just. is. We'll finish with this. I mean, it's like you had the two teams that were in the championship and the finals last year, boom. You have Philly and Phoenix, very similar teams. Yep. You, James Harden, Chris Paul, in-prime stars, et cetera, et cetera. Well-built, very well-built rosters. The Lakers and the Nets, I mean, come on, man. Um the flying ointment here is like the Clippers. Well, you know what? The Clippers you know what the Clippers and the Raptors have in common is they're my two favorite non Timberwolves teams.
1: Yeah. Very well run, good front offices, respect a lot about the team building and the coaching.
2: Yeah. Yep. Very And similar. Then, then yep. So anyway, we'll go there and then which which means we'll go to the central division after that in the east and we'll we'll wrap with uh the northwest division, which the Timberwolves are for some reason in yeah absolutely yeah thanks for getting on today man it was good to get uh
1: get another show out and uh thank you to all the listeners out there uh we will be back here mid
2: middle of next week sounds good thank you so much take care